just your thoughts on being eliminated from the playoffs second year in a row? And, and I don't know. What What are your thoughts? Well, I thought it was kind of a disappointing season. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah, pretty good. Appreciate your thoughts. The focus, the energy, the effort, certainly it feels good to be in the number one seed, but we also know that it does not guarantee anything. I thought it was our most complete game in all three phases, and that's what we need moving forward. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Three items on the docket last night for us. Two Wisconsin things. 23 Wisconsin at three Purdue. Big matchup, conference matchup. So we were dialed into that. We had the Bucks playing the Pistons. Just a Bucks game. And then we had the last Monday night football game of the season. No, they, they have one more. They have a super wild card Monday night game or whatever next week. But the last regular season Monday game. And it was Big Ben Roethlisberger's last game in Pittsburgh. And he's hosting the Browns. So those were the three things going on last night. There were other games. The Blazers played the Hawks. That was fun. John Morant went stupid dumbo mode and scored a bunch of points. And that was great. But you can only watch so much. And for the purposes of the show, two Wisconsin games, the Badgers and the Bucks, and then Monday Night Football, which I think we always watch, right? Monday Night Football, Thursday Night Football, that's just always on. It's weeknight football, so we're watching it. If you had to bet your house yesterday on the outcome of these games, would have been easy. Right? Bucks beat the Pistons, obviously. Bucks beat the Pistons six straight times. Wisconsin hasn't won at Mackey Arena since 2014. So you take Purdue and their 7 4 center. And Big Ben is washed and Baker is horrendous and injured, but you figured Pittsburgh would win at home. We got taken to the cleaners. Bucks lost to the Pistons. Sadiq Bay. The Sadiq Bay game. Where were you? Josh Jackson, two went off. Luca Garza on the bench. Micah Potter. Bizarro. And. Spicer form last night. And the Badgers won for the first time in Mackey Arena since 2014. I guess, yeah, Big Ben played one of the ugliest football games in history, and Baker Mayfield is just wretched and terrible and awful. Although, that's just AFC North football. Terrible game like that. So, surprising outcomes last night. Not really Monday Night Football, but our two hometown teams, Badgers and Bucks. Surprising outcomes in both of those games last night. So, that's where I want to start. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Thank you for being here. Glad to be speaking with you. The Bucks Pistons, I don't I don't know if I want to do a whole lot with that today. It's not just cuz the Bucks lost, even if the Bucks won. Would we really want to break down Bucks Pistons today? Probably not. Although it's cool that Sadiq Bey is scoring a bunch of points and Mike Potter and Luca Garza, Big 10 brothers are in the league. That's cool, but that's not going to carry a show. It's not really a topic. NBA stuff on Thursday. We'll start Thursday's show with NBA Lounge. A bunch of things happened last night that I want to get to and we will get to them. On Thursday, I want to talk Packers tonight. We can continue our rest versus rust debate. To rest or not to rest, that's going to be a blast for the rest of the week. I can't wait to continue that discussion. We'll pick that up here in a few minutes. Mike Clements will be here at 530. And I want to talk about the running game and a couple of things I noticed from different teams, from the Vikings, from the Bengals, and from the Packers as well. That's coming up. In about a half hour. You can give me a text or give me a call. 608-796-2558. Hit me up. And you can tweet me. Follow me. At Wisco Grant. Last night, I had a field day on Twitter. Tweeting about the Badgers. And Johnny Davis. And Lacrosse Central High School. Go Riverhawks. Formerly known as the Red Raiders. I never thought that mascot was that egregious. I guess I get why they changed it. Riverhawks is cool too. Riverhawks is cool. I'm not hating on Riverhawks not like they're the lacrosse basketball team that would be stupid big lacrosse central fan have been for probably four or five years and it's really cool to see johnny davis jonathan christian davis his full name it's really fun to watch him do what he does now at wisconsin and at the big 10 level so let's start there 23 wisconsin visiting number three purdue last night i didn't know if we were going to talk about this today when I wrapped up my show last night, I stepped out of the studio. There's normally a couple people around the building. There's someone in our newsroom. And then there is an evening talk show host on our news station here in Lacrosse, Wisdom. He does lacrosse talk every night. So he talks politics and local issues and that stuff. And his name is Rick Solom. And I was talking to Rick because he's a basketball fan after the show last night. And he said, Grant, you previewing Johnny Davis versus Purdue, Wisconsin at Mackey Arena tonight? I 
said, ah, no, he did all all Packers. You know, it's football season. The Packers just locked up the number one seed, and Rodgers is going to win MVP. So, no, we're, we're doing all Packers. And probably do mostly Packers tomorrow, too. But maybe, maybe we'll see if anything interesting happens. Right? If something interesting happens tonight, I told Rick, then maybe we'll get to him tomorrow. I still didn't think we'd lead the show with it. The Badgers winning at Purdue for the first time in seven years, eight years, and Johnny Davis scoring 37. Yeah, that'll play. That's interesting. We can we can talk about that. We can start the show with that. I went on a rampage today just looking up statistics and little nuggets to try to add some flavor to this game. Since 2001, which doesn't seem that long ago, like Maroon 5 was just getting started, which, again, doesn't seem that long ago, but that was now, what, 21 years ago? Cool. Cool. So in the last 21 years, Wisconsin teams that have won a Big Ten title or have gone on to make a Final Four, there are a few of those teams, right? Those teams combined were 1-4 and four in Purdue. The best Badgers teams of the last 20 years. Teams that have made a Final Four, won a Big Ten title, or teams that have done both. In five games in Mackey Arena, they have won once. Nobody wins at Purdue. Purdue this season was scoring 98.8 points per game at home. 91. 91.8 points per game at home this season. Excuse me. Wisconsin allowed 24 points in the first half and 69 overall. Nice. Now, Jonathan Davis, Jonathan Christian Davis, lacrosse central Red Raider slash Riverhawk alumni, He's a supernova. He's hitting mid-range jumpers. He's hitting pull-up threes. He's hitting catch-and-shoot threes. He's attacking the rim. He's defending the rim, defending around the perimeter. He is handling, dropping guys around ball screens and navigating transition offense in the open court. He did everything. Everything. Everything you could want a basketball player to do. He did it last night. All night. For the entire game. Now, if you look at the box score and the statistics of this game, this is a fun exercise I want to do. Look at everything except Johnny. Look at every other player. Look at every other team stat. Look at every other factor of this game except for Johnny Davis. Okay? And I think it teaches us a little bit about how this team is built. Brad Davison had 15 points on 11 shots. So he didn't get shut out. It's not like he only scored four or five points, but he had to work for his points last night. He had three of his six three-point shots, which is where most of his points came from. Five of 11 for 15 points. Eh, it's fine. It's not great. The next best Badger was Tyler Wall with six points. And they had seven bench points combined. Vote had six, and Jacoby Neath had one. Not a lot of offense. Purdue has a 7-4 center, seven feet and four inches, that is, that looks like a Rocky villain, like the previous Isaac Haas. He looked the same way. It's like, you don't belong playing college basketball. You should be fighting Rocky or farming and herding woolly mammoths in Siberia. Like, I don't know where they get these people. I don't know where they find seven and a half footers and they get them to Purdue. I don't know how, but they do. They have a seven foot four center. Looks like a Rocky villain. Stephen Crowell, Tyler Wall, Chris Vote. They all fall out. All of them. All of them fall out. And a couple of them with some reasonable amount of time to go. Like, not in the last minute. No. With reasonable time left in the second half. All of their bigs fall out. All of them against a team that has a seven four center. Purdue shot 40% from three, albeit unlimited attempts. Wisconsin, 25. Purdue took five extra free throws and committed five fewer fouls. And Wisconsin won that game. At Mackey Arena, against the number three team in the country. All of those things considered, they had seven bench points. Their next closest score was Brad Davison, who managed 15 on 11 shots. They took fewer free throws. They committed more fouls. All three of their bigs fouled out in a game against a seven and a half footer, and they won on the road in a place they haven't won since 2014. Is that good? That seems good. That seems that seems pretty good. That's yeah. That seems good. I know they messed around with Nickel State, but you can do whatever you want with Nickel State if you go into Mackey Arena and you get a win. Especially scoring 74 points. The Badgers scored 74 points. Of course, because Jonathan Davis was. Jonathan Davis, 27 second half points. He had three field goals in the final two minutes. He had a deep three-pointer, and then he had a deep two that was basically a de facto three-point shooter. Didn't count, but that's he was pulling up with three in mind. He hit those on back-to-back possessions to put Wisconsin up by seven. And then they held on to win, and he capped it off with a dunk at the end. 
So three field goals in the final two minutes, 27 points in the second half, 37 points overall. He also had two steals, two blocks, 14 rebounds, three assists, only three turnovers. Just a masterpiece of a game. And you can go look at this box score. I'm not going to spend the whole show just reading you stats. But it's worth mentioning, and I found this nugget from Ben Wargel today. Johnny Davis is the first player to lead his team in points, rebounds, assists, blocks, and steals in a road win over an AP top five team since, drum roll, does anyone know? Does anyone know? Joy to the world. I'm sorry. I watched Christmas Vacation last week. First guy to do that since Tim Duncan in 1997. That's bananas. And Tim Duncan played how many? How, 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 how many years? He didn't do it as a sophomore. Tim Duncan, they used to play for years in high school and college, right? They didn't just jump to the NBA. So back then, you're dealing with players that are more polished, more seasoned, more experienced. They're bigger, stronger. They just had time to work on their game. Jonathan Davis, sophomore year, did something that hasn't been done since Tim Duncan more than 20 years ago. And he did it in Mackey Arena, as I've said a bunch of times. I will tell you to do this. I'm going to give you some homework. And some of you may have already done this. But for those of you who haven't, you're a Wisconsin basketball fan, I'm going to tell you. Go to the Wisconsin basketball Twitter account, their official Twitter account, which you might already follow. They have a football account too, right? It's like following the Packers or the Brewers on Facebook or Twitter. I'm sure it's on Facebook too. Go to that account. Go to that account, the official Wisconsin basketball one. And there's a video that they posted that's three minutes long. And it's a montage of not every play that Johnny Davis made, but a bunch of them. And they're stitched back to back to back to back to back. And it's not just shots going in. It's not just jumpers. It's assists. It's steals. It's blocks. It's drives. It's jumpers. It's pull-up jumpers off the dribble. It's catch-and-shoot opportunities. It's passes where I'm like, ah, what? Zipping balls into the lane right in the pocket of a post player that's cutting at the rim with a 7-4 center on their hip. Jonathan Davis did everything. And it's easy to look at the box score and see that, right? He led his team in points, rebounds, assists, blocks, steals. He barely had any turnovers, especially given how much the ball was in his hands, especially against the way Purdue plays defense and just defense in the Big Ten. It's just hard to score. It's hard to possess and keep the ball safe against Big Ten defenses. It's in that environment that, yes, he put up those stats, but you need to see it in a compilation back to back to back to back to back because you need to see that comparison. On this play, he hit this jumper. Cut. This next play, he made this pass. Next play, he made this block. Next play, he had this dribble move. And it's only when you see all of these different things that he did back to back to back in succession that you realize, oh my God, this a lottery pick. This dude ain't come back to Wisconsin next year. Brad Stevens, front office guy for the Celtics, their president of basketball operations was at the game last night. I can't imagine he was the only NBA guy who's there because there are NBA teams who will be picking in the bottom of the lottery, mid-teens, maybe early 20s, who are just hoping and praying that this stays quiet, that Johnny Davis doesn't get too much attention, that he doesn't have a Frank Kaminsky player of the year type season so somebody can pick him off in the late teens or in the late lottery and and try to hit a home run on a player with a super high ceiling. Brad Stevens was there. This dude is the man, Jonathan Christian Davis. Last thing before we move on, I don't want to get to the Packers. Something I kept seeing last night over and over and over again, and I'm... A perpetrator of this, too. I've said this three or four times, I think, since we started the show. I keep seeing this on Twitter or in articles or blogs or podcasts. They talk about Johnny Davis, and then they cap it off by saying, and he did this in Mackey Arena on the road. He did this at Purdue. Now, you can't see me here. I'm, I'm taking my glasses off so I can get extra serious when I tell you this. Look, I don't want to sound like the lacrosse central homer here, even though I am. But this isn't new. This is Johnny Davis. This has always been Johnny Davis. This will always be Johnny Davis. He is that guy. He always has been for years. And he always will be this guy. And if you allow me for two minutes, for those of you that maybe have never seen Johnny Davis play in person before, or maybe you live in Madison, maybe you see him now, or maybe you live in Eau Claire, maybe you live somewhere, you never saw him play in high school. Let me explain. Lacrosse Central Basketball, coached by Todd Fergett, who is brilliant, They play real teams. It's not like Henry Ellenson played in Rice Lake and you're going against... We had had a caller from Hurley yesterday. Who was that? I wrote his name down. We had someone call... Or someone who was from Hurley. Who was it? I wrote it down. Dan. From Hurley. Right? It's not like he's playing 
back 40 Northwood school teams, and I love the Northwoods. I'm going to be up there this weekend. Lacrosse Central, just in 2019-2020, in that season, the season that was stopped mid-playoffs due to COVID, after Lacrosse Central beat on Alaska to qualify for state, and then the season shut down. So Johnny was robbed of an opportunity, and so was Jordan Davis and all the other players on this team. They had a really good finish. They lost on Alaska twice in 2019-2020, and then they got him in the playoffs, and they had their mojo back, and Devon Fielding was nuts, and Terrence Thompson was a beast, and then the season got shut down, and it sucked. In that season alone, they smashed Milwaukee Madison by 39. They play on Alaska twice a year, which is routinely a top team in the state, and I get texts on our talking text line from on Alaska people who are like, stop talking about Central. On Alaska's really good. They're an unbelievable basketball team. And that's a team that Central has to play twice, at least every year, and then again in the section if they want to get to state. In late January in the 2019-2020 season, so we're into 2020, still in the before times before COVID, they played in the Monteverde Academy Invitational. They played South Miami. They played Long Island Lutheran. Yes, Long Island, New York. Scotlandville Magnet, or Magnet, or I don't know if it's French. It's a school in Baton Rouge. I was looking it up. A lot of athletes from there. Later, in early February, they played in the best sporting event I have ever attended. It was Lacrosse Central versus Minnehaha Academy. It was at Mitchell Hall at UWL. Jalen Suggs, who was a fifth overall pick to the Magic, played in that game. Chet Holmgren is probably going to be a top three, top five pick at worst. I checked some mocks today. He's normally floating around two or three. Really high ceiling, really great player. He's like a seven-footer who just bangs threes. Johnny Davis dropped 45 in that game. He's been doing this, and he plays nasty teams, and he's played them in nasty environments. One day, if you live in the state of Wisconsin, you like basketball, you got to go to a Central on Alaska game. They're bananas. I'd rather go to a Central Ana game than go to a Bucks game sometimes. They, they will take your breath away how rowdy and how packed and how insane those games are. That's what he came up through. And by the way, in the 2019-2020 season, in games against conference opponents excluding on Alaska, and the Hilltoppers are amazing every year, their average margin of victory that season was 38 points. So they're playing teams from all over the country, cutting their teeth on those teams. They're playing against all-star academy teams with NBA lottery prospects. And then the teams that they play that are the -the run-of-the-mill teams in their conference, they smash them every time. So, yeah, when you put that all together, that's how you get Johnny Davis. And for anyone who's surprised, it says, oh, and he did it at Mac Arena. Yeah, he's been doing it in tough venues against tough teams for years. Mac Arena. Matt Painter is addicted to losing big games, and he always has been. Johnny Davis is allergic to losing big games, and we saw that again last night. Let's talk about the Packers. I've ranted too long. More of the Wisco Sports Show back in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. See, Frank Kaminsky set the school record with 43. Uh, that was against North Dakota. Uh, no disrespect, but it's not at Purdue Mackey Arena, so uh, against the number three ranked team in the country. So we, we've had some good ones over the years. Um, you know, we've had phenomenal NCAA tournament appearances uh, or performances. So, you know, this is this will rank right there with them. Uh, I think the biggest thing that stands out about Johnny, and you mentioned it in another media session I was with, is just he, can, he is only concerned with winning and doing what he can do to help his teammates. And, and I think that is reciprocal from what his, his teammates think of him and, um, Obviously, he's got a special talent, and, and he's able to, to use that. And uh, fortunately, he's got very unselfish teammates that help him, you know, when things aren't going well, put him in good positions when things are going well, and, and he's always the first one to give his teammates the credit. Silent assassin, Wisconsin coach Greg Gard. Another top five win, AP top five win. Badgers might not be winning national titles, folks, but this team just consistently sneaky. Does good things. That was the Badgers' sixth win over a top-five opponent under Greg Gard. Might not get them every time. And they might have a bad loss here and there, but this team. This team! Obviously, he's talking about Johnny Davis. One thing that I love to hear, and we're going to get to Packers. I'm sorry, I'm almost done. One thing that I heard him talk about, Johnny's focused on winning first. I was watching a clip today of Nick Nurse who went on the Old Man in the Three podcast, which is J.J. Reddick's podcast. So Raptors coach Nick Nurse, who won a title in 2019, beat the Bucks with Kawhi Leonard, remember? Great defense, really smart things that the Raptors did and Nick Nurse did. And he was asked, what's your approach to coaching? What's What, what do you focus on? What's your mantra, right? And he said, well, number one, we got to win. We got to make winning plays. We got to develop and coach winning basketball players who do winning things. 
Because once you do that, everything else follows suit. That's when a player now gets the long contract extension, the longer contract, the bigger contract. Teams want that player because they know if I go get this player, he's going to make winning decisions. He's going to do winning things. They're going to help my team. And the 40 points a night is great, but what about 36 points a night but makes the right pass, the right shot, right? That's the valuable player. And it would be easy for Johnny Davis to just try to score 50 every night. And last night, geez, I guess he was on his way. It would be easy to be a ball hog, take every shot, and dominate the game and make a name for yourself and rack up stats and get drafted. But when you put winning first, actually everything else follows suit if you're a good player, right? Assuming you're a talented player and and you're making talented player plays, the winning comes first. And I heard that from Nick Nurse's philosophy on the old man in the three. I saw a clip on Twitter, and and I thought that was a cool parallel, so I wanted to touch on that before we move along. 608-796-2558. 608-796-2558. You can hit me up there. You can tweet me at Wisco Grant. This is the Wisco Sports Show. A couple of tweets at the very beginning here. Number one from Jeff. Why are there so many on the airwaves afraid to call Big Ben what he is? Not a good person. Keep his ass out of the hall. I don't know, Big Ben. Uh yeah, I don't I mean, I don't know. This isn't the this isn't the Pittsburgh sports show. Yeah. It's made some mistakes here and there. I, I mean and I'm not going to, this isn't me defending Big Ben. I, I think he realized that he did some seedy things, some not good things. Um, and I think he's actually put his best foot forward in making up for those things, right? If you could say that about all professional athletes and famous people, the world would be a better place. I'm not going to get on a soapbox and defend Big Ben. I just, I don't know. It's not that I don't care, but that's not really what this show is. William tweets in and says, I want the Raiders and Chargers to get a tie so bad. Did you see the playoff scenario? Yeah, isn't it if the Jags beat the Colts? Then if the Raiders and Chargers tie, they both get in. I can't imagine that two coaches would actually come together and agree to tie. I can't see it happening ever. I don't think it ever would. But it'd be a fun scenario. It'd be really hilarious. I agree. I don't think the Jaguars are beating anyone, let alone the Colts, who have things to play for as well. Eric is on I-90, and Eric, you are calling in. Welcome to the show, Eric. It's nice to chat with you. Don't swear like you did yesterday. Yeah, I have to apologize for the F-bomb. Um... I, uh, I lost control. Hey, that's fine. I have a, I have a button. I, I can cancel that stuff out, uh, but let's, let's not make a habit of it. Yeah, let's not make a habit of it. Yeah, it's a good. So I like we'll start that. out on a positive note because I wasn't very positive yesterday. No, you were not. Uh, let's see here. Oh, Greg <laughs> Joseph has the record for the longest kick in Lambeau Field. <laughs> he does. That's, some, that's a notch in the Vikings cap. Good for you. Huh? There you go. We can go onward with that feather in our hat. I think it's the longest kick yeah. in January, isn't it, to be specific? I think there's a time. It's time sensitive, too. I don't think it's ever. I think it's in January. Well, there you just blew a hole in that, too. Like still good, though. Do. Still still cool. Right. Still cool. I'm not trying to minimize it. Yeah. Just, just We stick to the yeah, facts you, on the you, show. You just minimized it. Yeah. Minimized yeah, I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. All right. Let's get, let's get, to, let's get to Zimmer. Okay. You no, know, Zimmer's just burnt out, okay? I don't disagree. He's burnt out. He's not enough. Huh? I, I don't disagree. I, I think he's burned out. You heard his presser yesterday. I think he knows he's done, and I weirdly think he's okay with it. He's he's borderline saying, all right, screw this. If I'm getting fired, I'm, I'm going out on my terms. I'm going to be the stubborn, crabby guy that I am, which is good sometimes. That's the kind of man coaches. he is. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the kind of man he is, and um, I believe there was a new story that he – just bought another like 900 acres down in Tennessee or wherever it is he lived. Okay. Um, so, you know, so that. yeah, he's done. Um, and uh, I don't blame him for kind of just snarking back to these reporters. I mean, it's, hey, it's, it was a bad day. It's been a bad year. You know, get off my case toilet face. That's, that's what I would have said. Right? Yeah, I... Part of me feels bad for Mike Zimmer because in a perfect world, he probably never wanted Kirk Cousins. He probably wanted the Vikings to keep investing in his defense, give him players so he can win that way. And I I get his frustration there. Mike Zimmer would probably be a better coach in that scenario, but that's just not modern football, right? It is like if I tell my boss, hey, I'm actually a better employee if I come into work at noon and I only stay until two. Like I could be the world's best employee for those two hours, but that's just not, not how work works. Right, and defense and running the football just really isn't football in 2021. Exactly, and it's a it's it truly is a young man's game, and and the young coaches are the 
are the ones that are being successful now. I, you know, Andy Reid, a little bit of the exception in the past few years. Uh, I guess last year, Bruce Arians. I don't know how old Bruce is. You know, these yeah. guys are the. You know, but that all being said, then then Chris Collinsworth. Mm-hmm. You know, what does he know about football? Well, he's a I Hall of Famer. Play for the Bengals. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Hall of Famer loser? Okay, okay. What? For the Bungles? He was, a, he was one of the best wide receivers of all time. You are you never watched him play, did you? No, I I, I feel like that's just kind of understood though. I, I feel like we all just kind of agree on that one. No, we don't. Oh, okay. Well, okay, we have an exception. He is a Hall of Famer, right? Am I Am I, under- I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Well, we don't. I mean, we don't you need. You better to... check on that. I, I could check. I don't. I don't know how much time we need to spend on that. Um, no, but you better check on that, and then also check on that story that Aaron Rodgers corrected a Viking safety on his alignment, told him to move, just like he was a wide receiver. Yeah. I want you to check out all that stuff for me, Grant. All right, I, 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 I can check on that. We're actually going to talk a little bit about Zimmer coming up next after this last break, so we can talk more about what he's good and bad at and kind of why that's coming to an end, because I want to bring the Packers into it, too. Right, and another thing, too, is they don't even, according to Chris Collinsworth, Rodgers wouldn't even have to play because he telepathically communicates <sighs> with all of his team members. So he, we just, and Grant, I'm going to remind you of this. If you go on and do a rant about, Tom Brady and the way they talk about him. Yeah. I'm going to remind you. That's fair. Because I've heard you rant about that. That's fair. That's fair. Is that fair? That fair. is fair. Because I do like talking to you. Yeah. And, and Eric, yeah. I like talking to you, too. The problem is th- this has just gone on too long, and we've gotten in the weeds. And I think I'm wrong about Chris Collinsworth, by the way. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. He's very good. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, so I apologize for that. That was a long time ago. Eric, thank you for the call. And I'm glad you brought Zimmer up, because what I actually want to talk about next is... Well, a couple of different things, but between the Vikings and the Packers, there was another game this weekend. The Bengals game got me thinking about this as well. Why do coaches struggle? What's the biggest struggle they have? And we talk about fourth downs. We talk about decision to kick or decision to punt or go for two or take an extra point. A lot of those more analytics-based decisions, right? I actually think that there's a bigger systemic issue that a lot of coaches struggle with. Zimmer struggled with it, and I think it's ultimately going to be his undoing, as Eric, one of our resident Vikings fans, said. Zach Taylor has struggled with it, and up until this previous weekend or these previous couple of weekends where the Bengals really started heating up, it had been a big issue for him. I think McCarthy struggled with it, and I think Matt LaFleur struggles with it in his own way. We'll talk about that coming up next. I want to talk more about the Badgers. Mike Clements also coming up before the end of the show. A lot to get to on the Wisco Sports Show tonight. Stick around. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. All right, Chris Collinsworth isn't a Hall of Famer. That's my bad. I don't know where that came from. He had a good career, very good career, not a Hall of Fame career. Very good broadcaster. I don't know. Some Vikings fans were upset on Sunday night because Chris Collinsworth couldn't stop making goo-goo eyes over the Packers. I said this yesterday. I'm going to say it again. Look, Vikings fans, you have a lot to be upset about. Chris Collinsworth is like a hundredth on the list. Your team stinks, okay? And I don't say that to rub it in. Be mad about that. Be mad that your team had a really good roster in 2017 and they just never really got anywhere, did anything with it after the fact. Be mad about that. Don't be mad about Chris Collinsworth. The one thing that actually I was annoyed by with Collinsworth, except my team was winning and it was a really boring game. So to be honest, I wasn't even paying that close attention. Collinsworth kept trying to tell us that, you know, this, uh, this Sean Mannion, he's a guy. Just don't lie to us. And I feel like announcers do that sometimes because they want to make it seem like, no, this is, hey, this is going to be a good game. Sean Mannion, this guy can ball. He's good. Chris, we're not turning the game off either way. You don't have to lie to us. We're here. We're here for fantasy reasons. We're here because we bet the game. We're here because it's on. You don't need to you don't need to be a PR arm for this game. Sean Mannion sucks. Gary Bradbury sucks too. It's, it's okay to say those things. Vikings fans, however, I'll say it again. Be thankful that Chris Collinsworth chose to talk about the Packers for three hours instead of everything that's wrong with your Vikings, who lost by 27. And again, 
Sorry that I was wrong about the Chris Collinsworth thing. That was, I was, I don't know where that came from. It was heated with Eric on I-90. And sometimes that happens when you're talking to callers. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bill, 608-796-2558. That's how you can give me a call. You can reach out that way. I believe this is Zach in Wisco. Zach, please don't make me say something wrong about a player's Hall of Fame resume. What's, what's going on? Welcome. <laughs> no, I, actually, since we're on the Hall of Fame and uh, Ben Roethlisberger played his last game in Pittsburgh, uh, allegedly, where do you think he falls in the Hall of Fame scale? Is he a Hall of Fame-worthy quarterback? Hmm. And I've had this discussion, well, I've had this particular discussion, as well as a couple of guys that Roethlisberger had thrown to in the past, uh, one being Heinz Ward, and I believe Heinz Ward is not anywhere close to being a Hall of Fame-level wide receiver. And I know he has a lot of the yards and he has statistics, but Heinz Ward was never a top-five wide receiver yeah. in any given year in his professional career. Yes. And Roethlisberger, since since he came into the league, he's had very good years. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe he is a Hall of Fame-level quarterback because he was always – he always had Peyton Manning. He always had Drew Brees, Tom Brady. Uh, for the latter part of his year, for the last 16 years, he had Aaron Rodgers. Yep. You know, he's had other guys that have been better. And I don't think Roethlisberger has stood out as a top five of his generation or a top six, seven, eight of his generation. He's always kind of like that. And he always shrunk in big games, too. Yeah. You know, we always want to give Rodgers crap for shrinking in NFC championship games Roethlisberger's done the same thing you know Roethlisberger had a couple of AFC championship games at home against the Patriots and got blown out yeah Roethlisberger had two Super Bowls and looked poor in both you know in both of the Super Bowl wins and looked better in his loss Mm -hmm. but still not as good as Rodgers so do you think Grant Bills that Roethlisberger is a Hall of Fame quarterback with everything that I laid out there. Well, first of all, you laid it out very well, uh, and I appreciate the call, and I appreciate the topic. Thank you, and uh, I want this energy at some point this week, Zach. You got to call back, and we got to do the rest versus rust debate because you laid everything out really well, and when you asked about the Hall of Fame case for Roethlisberger, my first thought was, oh, God, I don't know, but where my mind goes every time if we're talking about the Hall of Fame, think about their career and think about the hierarchy in the league at the time. And it's the same thing with Breeze and Russell Wilson. When people say, oh, my God, how does Russell Wilson not have an MVP? Or how do we not think more highly of Drew Breeze? My mind always thinks, okay, well, Rodgers was always better. Brady was always better. Mahomes is now better. Right? You you can be very good. You can be a very good quarterback. But if you're Hall of Fame, you need to show me a stretch of your career where you did it better than anyone else in the league. And, Zach, you laid out a pretty good case for Heinz Ward, too. It's like, yeah, you can be great, and you can be great for a long time and put together a really good resume. But when I can go over the years and consistently find someone that did it better than you, that makes it tough. That that takes away from someone's Hall of Fame candidacy. You know, and I don't, look, I'm not a Hall of Fame voter. I'm not a historian of this stuff. But that's a pretty good rule of thumb. Go through a player's career. Were at any point, were they the best? Were they at any point on top? Like, Matt Ryan won an MVP. There was a season where we looked around and thought, man, Matt Ryan's do it better than anyone else right now. Right? Did we ever do that with Ben Roethlisberger? And, again, that was a crock. That was a bunch of bull roar with Matt Ryan because he had Shanahan and it all came together at once. Kind of like it was with Cam, right? You can have one magical year over the course of the career. At any point, were you the undisputed best at your position? Because you've said that at multiple junctures about Rodgers. Said it about Mahomes. Said it about Brady. Said it about Peyton Manning. Can't say that about Breeze. Can't say that about Roethlisberger. Can't say that about Wilson. Really great guys. And I think Roethlisberger's case is longevity. Played for a cornerstone franchise, which is cool. But no, I'm I'm with you, Zach. I I think that case was pretty good. We were talking about Collinsworth a little bit. Now, Collinsworth obviously played for the Bengals, a division rival of Pittsburgh. Not a Hall of Famer. My bad. Apologize about that. I make mistakes. Right? We were bringing up Zimmer a little bit in the Vikings. 
And I want to talk about the Vikes. I want to talk about the Bengals. And then I want to turn this into something, a topic that we can discuss with the Packers as well. We should look at all of the games this weekend holistically. It was very close. Jets and Bucks. L.A. had to come from behind to beat Baltimore. It's Sean Mannion on Sunday Night Football. Bengals look electric. Turns out maybe Dallas's offense benefited a little bit from playing Washington football team last weekend when they scored 56. Like, maybe they're not that good. Dak seems to be scuffling a little bit. Arizona finally looked a little bit better. The one takeaway that I saw from this weekend, the one big overarching theme, and instead of setting it up and, and building it up with analogies and stories and examples, I'm just going to come out and say it. The running game gets NFL coaches fired. Mismanagement of the running game gets coaches fired. Plain and simple. And we saw why this weekend. Think about this, okay? The running game is belabored. It's talked about all the time. Sports radio hosts, TV guys, got established run, established run, established run. You hear in press conferences, we didn't run the ball enough. We didn't do this enough. If you listen to games on the radio, the studio crew, always at halftime. Hey, man, only this many carries. We got to run the ball more. So we talk about the running game. It's really prevalent in the way we discuss. It's, it's near the top of the lexicon for how we talk about football, right? But structurally, the way we actually operate and the way NFL teams actually operate is becoming secondary because when you build an offense in 2021, you get your quarterback, number one, you support your quarterback, number two, and that means drafting good wide receivers, good offensive linemen, good tight ends, right? You want to build that system around the quarterback to protect them and give them somewhere to go with the ball. And then, of course, build a running game as well. But you build a running game not by taking a running back fourth overall or second overall like dumb-dumb Dave Gettleman did, You build your offensive line. You get an established offensive coordinator with good scheme. The 49ers don't have a good running game because they spent first-round picks on running backs. They're doing it with guys that no one has ever heard of because they got Trent Williams, and they got a really strong offensive and defensive front, and they're really good on the line of scrimmage, and Kyle Shanahan is a really good offensive coordinator for plugging and playing and moving guys around and scheming the run. So our offensive checklist here is quarterback, support your quarterback with wide receivers, offensive line, tight end, get the guy to call the right scheme, and then the running game will be a product of everything else existing. You don't start with the running back and build out. You start with everything else, and then your running back will probably just appear, like Aaron Jones did or Alvin Kamara did. right? If you draft a running back, Najee Harris, to try to create a running game, you're just going to have a lot of two-yard carries. It's going to be brutal. If you watch the Steelers this year, you understand it. right? The running back in the running game is way down the totem pole, or it should be. And coaches, some especially, really, really struggle with this. And they struggle with dealing this and balancing it. So Mike Zimmer is a great example. He opened his press conference the other night by saying this. Kind of got away from us, time of possession. Um, we didn't move the ball at all, really, at all. Um, got away from the running game way too soon. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, second half, we didn't, we didn't play well enough defensively. So give them credit. They're a good team. And uh, they got after us tonight. Didn't run the ball enough. A reporter then asked him, why wasn't the running game working? You weren't having success. And Zimmer said, well, because we went away from it. Well, huh? So the one thing that wasn't working, it didn't work because you didn't do it enough? That that makes that that makes no sense. That's dumb. What That makes no sense, Mike Zimmer. Zimmer doesn't get it. And it's going to be a big reason why the Vikings move on from him. Another example from Sunday is the Bengals. First half, the Chiefs jump out to a 21-7 lead. Big plays, explosive offense. Looks like the Chiefs are going to run away with this. Their explosive offense is back. So at halftime of this game, I got to go to Papa Murphy's. I got to go pick up a pizza. I got chicken garlic. It was pretty good, right? And I turn on the game on the radio. I found it on the radio, and it's halftime. And Sal Palantonio, I guess, does color and radio commentary. And he said, with a straight face at halftime. Well, I couldn't see him, but he sounded pretty darn serious. His issue was, Joe Mixon only has four carries. That's got to change in the second half. You can bet their offensive staff is circling that at halftime. They got to feed him. They're down 14 to Patrick Mahomes. What? We're going to give the ball to Joe Mixon more. And God bless Zach Taylor, who I think we've all had questions about. Because in the second half, Joe Mixon had eight carries. And four of them were on the final drive where they were trying to run clock. They threw more than 70% of the time this last Sunday. And they threw more than 70% of the time a week ago against the Ravens when they had almost 600 yards through the air. Why did they do that? Because it turns out Joe Burrow is really good, and Jamar Chase is a stud, and Tyler Boyd is really good, and T. Higgins is an awesome weapon, right? Zach Taylor, the last two weeks, let his guys play. He let his stars make plays and win a game, and they've been rewarded with an AFC North title. It would have been really easy for Zach Taylor to freak out at halftime and say, whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't have the ball at all. He kept going three and out. 
scheme's running away from us. We got to keep Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines. We got to run the ball. It's a super easy fallacy for head coaches to fall into. They fall behind early and they start to panic and their answer, their instinct, because it's what we said for football for ages, we got to establish the run game. We, we got to put a long drive together. No, you have to put a drive together, right? Taking two minutes of game time off the clock means nothing if you go three and out because the Chiefs offense is coming back onto the field either way. So do you want to be slow and stubborn or do you actually want to move the ball and put a drive together and get yourself back into the game? And it turns out throwing to Jamar Chase instead of handing it to Joe Mixon, pretty good way to do that. And I see this all the time with Packers fans when games get dicey or the offense is in a little bit of a rut. Well, you got to you got to back to basics. You got to run the ball. You got to you got to put a long drive together. Yeah, but is running the ball the best way to put a drive together? You have the MVP of the league at quarterback. You have the best wide receiver in the league who can get open at will. And the Packers' offensive line isn't exactly a top-tier unit, especially at run blocking. They're above average at pass blocking, which is how they're designed, to be fair to Adam Stenovich and the Packers. It's hard to run behind an offensive line like that. I want to talk more about that and the way that Matt LaFleur handles his running game because it was the death of Zimmer. It could have been the death of Zach Taylor, and luckily for him it wasn't, and luckily for us too because it's really fun to watch this Bengals team. And now they're division champs, and they're going to be playing in the division round uh, in the NFL playoffs. And that's great. That's really cool for Cincy, or they're playing in the wild card next uh, round. You you get my point, right? It's a win-win. We get to watch their stars. They get to make the playoffs. Zimmer kind of resisted that. Zach Taylor embraced it. Matt LaFleur is, is somewhere in this middle ground. Let's talk about how this impacts the Packers. Coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Now, in Green Bay, here's Mike Clemens. The Packers have today off. They'll practice tomorrow to prepare for their 17th regular season game against the Detroit Lions at Ford Field Sunday. Three more Packer players testing positive for COVID-19. Safety Darnell Savage, returner David Moore, who just joined the team last Thursday, and veteran Dennis Kelly, who's been filling in at right tackle the past three games since Billy Turner went down with that knee injury against the Bears. Packers head coach Matt LaFleur. I think Dennis has done a fine job. First of all, he's got great experience, and I love the effort that he shows on every play. I think he's executed at a, at a pretty high level and seems to be doing a great job on that right side. The Packers were able to hold the Vikings running back Dalvin Cook to just 13 yards on nine carries after giving up 200 yards rushing to Nick Chubb and the Cleveland Browns. Packers outside linebacker Preston Smith. We know what type of player Dalvin Cook is. We know how he can hurt teams. We know last year if he could kick field goals, he could have beat us himself. We know we had to stop him. We know we had to make them one-dimensional and get them out of the run game and get them to passing. Minnesota head coach Mike Zimmer on why the Vikings running game stalled Sunday night. I don't think we stuck with it enough to be honest with you got away from it you know i talked to him about you know hey we got to give give dalvin ball first play of the possession we get a sack second and 16 best packers coverage oh zimmer oh zim 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 mike zimmer the running game wasn't working why not we didn't do it enough oh okay that makes sense, I guess, if I don't think about it. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I want to get back into the Badgers in a couple of minutes because, honestly, that's the big story today. The next time the Packers will play meaningful, meaningful football, two and a half weeks away, we got plenty of time to do the rest versus rust debate, and I do want to do it just a little bit later in the show. Mike Clements will be here in about a half hour. Just talked a little bit about how the Vikings, Mike Zimmer especially, touching and topical that Mike included that in his update. Zimmer really likes to run the ball, even when it doesn't make sense. And the Bengals, another example, a team that I think maybe ran the ball too much at certain junctures this season. we got to establish the run and control the clock with Joe Mixon. Well, actually, Jamar Chase is really good, and Tyler Boyd is really good, and T. Higgins is really Boyd, and Joe Burrow is a stud. He's really good. Joe Burrow is who a lot of people thought Baker Mayfield would be. Not the most athletic, not the most talented, but he just has it. He's just got an edge. And not the edge that just kind of makes you a douchebag that runs from the cops, but like an actual edge that can help you win football games and uplift a franchise that's been bad for a long time. Really since the Chris Collinsworth days, to bring this full circle. A lot of coaches struggle with the running game. They think they should do it more, and they, they we need to establish a run. No, you don't. You need to do what's best for your team. And some teams should run the ball a lot. The Browns probably should because Baker's terrible and Nick Chubb is awesome. 
But with Matt LaFleur, sometimes I, I hear Packers fans just pining. We need to run the ball. We need to do this and that. No, no this is actually a much better passing team. Much better. Devontae Adams is a star. Aaron Rodgers is an MVP again. And this offensive line, one, is designed to pass block and not run block, and two, really banged up. And injuries make it duff, tougher to get perfect blocks and sustain perfect blocks, which impacts the run game a lot more than it impacts the passing game. You can control a pass rush by getting the ball out quickly, moving the pocket, designing things a certain way. When you're running the ball, you got one way, and it's forward. And if your blocks aren't perfect, you're going to have a bad time. So the challenge for Matt LaFleur, and something we'll talk about more, is especially meaningful playoff football gets closer. How do you keep Jones involved? How do you get those big plays? And how do you keep Dylan involved, too? Because Jones and Dylan are probably their two best weapons, excluding Devontae Adams. How do you involve those two without slowing down the offense and getting in the eye and playing like Wisconsin? Because that takes Rodgers and Adams out of the equation. Let's take a break, get an update from Zach Heilprin. I want to get back into the Badgers, but I want to hear from you on any topic you'd love. More of the Wisco Sports Show back in two minutes. Sean Gary's got him, and Mannion is sacked. A loss of a dozen for Gary, who is on a roll. We did, uh, we did what we said we wanted to do. We wanted to get off the field, turn it down, get back the offense, the ball as many times as we can, and score as many times as we can. And you know, as a defense, we just gotta do our part. So everybody played their part all three phases today. So that's what it showed when we got the win. That's for Sean Gary. It's a little bit easier, probably, as a defense, knowing that you got Sean Mannion back there. It's like, ooh, we really. We really messed up that coverage on that play. Good thing it doesn't matter at all because <laughs> it's Sean Mannion. Although Chris Collinsworth tried to sell us. Mike, I know you were in the press box. Mike Clemens now joining us. Chris Collinsworth was trying hard to sell Sean Mannion to the crowd. It just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so was uh, Matt LaFleur last week. Yeah. By the way, did Chris ever get around to stop saying Alan Lassard and Alan Lazard. I saw a lot of people were upset about that. I heard it a couple. Yeah, of I saw times. that on Twitter. Yeah. You know, I don't. I mean, I, I don't hear the air <laughs> in the press box. You can look up and there's see the video on the monitors. <laughs> I start seeing people saying, "Cause actually, one of the guys is a uh, photographer for the Channel Two ABC in Green Bay." And mm-hmm. so, what I did was I took a picture of my flip card. You know, the roster they hand you out there. Mm-hmm. That's got the pronunciation guide. I took a picture of that and I posted that for him. With the, clearly, it says <laughs> Alan Lazard, not Lazard. Well, when you have that uh, folksy delivery and that uh, that great NFL resume there, Mike, you can get away with uh, with mispronouncing someone's name just a little bit. But yeah, I saw a lot of people. Vikings fans were ticked at Collinsworth. He was falling all over himself, going Google over the Packers. I'm like, this is just we're, we're just we're complaining now to complain. Let's. Well, but you know, but I, you know, I don't get to hate for the national announcers. They yeah. care less. They just want a good game. They want a good story, and they talk up good players that are playing well. Yeah. And so one guy that I think has really been coming on and coming back from an extended elbow injury is Rashawn Gary. Uh, last week, you know, Packers could not stop Nick Chubb and and company. I mean, they rushed the Browns rushed for over 200 yards. And here they hold a Dalvin Cook, who who single-handedly beat them at Lambeau last year on a very strange 40-mile-an-hour wind day. Mm-hmm. Um, they held this guy to under you know 15 yards for the game, didn't get a lot of carries. And so Rashawn was asked, you know, how were you able to stop Dalvin Cook and not Nick Chubb? Just understanding um, our responsibilities, where everybody's fitting, and just basically making our corrections from last week. We knew they was going to come in and try to run the ball and try to run similar plays as uh, Cleveland that hit on us. So we knew that we had to go back, make corrections, and come in today and uh, go to work, and that's what we did. So something that I thought about when I was reading about the Packers' run defense is when Adrian Peterson used to run rough shot all over the Packers, and they could never get him down. It was just maddening to watch. The games where they succeeded were the games where Clay Matthews is on the edge, right, Mike? And it wasn't that Clay Matthews is making these otherworldly plays, making diving tackles and, and laying big hits. It was simply when he was standing in the right spot, when he didn't get caught too far upfield or too far inside. And I saw that a couple of times for Sean Gary and Preston Smith saying, hey, I'm not going to tackle you, but you're not getting outside of me. 
turning Dalvin Cook back in so somebody else could make the play. I think Rashawn Gary nailed it. It's just about being in the right spot, right? Or those mobile quarterbacks as well. Yes, yes. And, you know, after a couple of years, Clay Matthews got so good at it. And I said, you know, how do you – I mean, he starts he starts getting in the backfield midway through the second quarter. And I say, so tell me what's going on. And he essentially told me he waits a series or two to just figure out what are the new wrinkles – kind of get into the rhythm of the game, listen to what they're using for cadence and snap count and all that, because, you know, it's a track meet. You you mm-hmm. are you get your feet planted, you get set, you figure out what your best angle is outside the tackle, maybe between the tackle and guard, you let your defensive lineman know that, and, and then you jump. You make your jump to try and at least pressure the quarterback. And Rashawn um, sacked him once, hit him four times, and pressured him, uh, Sean Mannion, all night, was yeah. in his face all night. And then, of course, when your offense finally starts putting up some points, then you can gamble even a little bit more. The Packers did a poor job of containing uh, Tyler Huntley uh, in the Ravens game because he's just as mobile as uh, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I thought that it looked like their edge guys, Green Bay's edge guys, were, going, were taking these inside tracks or whatever. But now Preston Smith... He has been productive now the last couple of games, and he says, you know what, Jerry Montgomery, the defensive line coach, and Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator, they've got these guys like Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry at the right angles that helps me get a clean shot to the backfield. They're making it a lot easier for me by, you know, demanding, you know, slides and double teams and chips, and they just allow me to get after it because we're all applying pressure. We're all chasing after the quarterback, and we got the DBs covering and the linebackers covering. Everybody's in the right place at the right time, and it's just perfect timing for me. Now, Kenny Clark is a stud, and he's been good for a while, but some of these games this year, Mike, he just looks like he's on another level. And Dean Lowry, too. This seems like the best season of Dean Lowry's career. Is that because Dean Lowry's popping at the right time? Or have you heard things like that, where Preston Smith is giving love to Joe Barry and Jerry Montgomery, who really figured it out this year to help maximize some of those players that have been here in the years past, but they've never looked like this before? Remember when they dropped Mike Daniels uh, abruptly yes. uh, going into training camp? I remember exa- exactly where I was. I was painting a deck. I remember I remember the street I was on. I remember what oh. I was doing. I remember, yes, exactly. And just like a couple of days before, they'd extended Dean Lowry because they just thought, you know what, this guy's got enough power, enough muscle to do what we want. And under Mike Pettin, he basically had him trying to just try and take up double teams if you can. Don't worry about getting in the backfield. Well, mm-hmm. you end up not getting any stats and you not you don't get any def- you don't get any momentum for your defense. Now, this guy is deflecting passes. He's getting in passing lanes. He seems to be doing a better job getting outside of holding the edge up there on the right side uh, when necessary. So, again, it's got to be stuff that little floor, you know, has, has put into Joe Barry or that Joe Barry's got better communication on the field. Also helps with, you know, they've gone from Blake Martinez to guys off the street like Campbell, an inside linebacker who's all over the field, led the team in tackles again the other night. Now, the other thing is that, you know, Mike Zimmer, for the most part, even though they brought in uh, – uh, Kirk Cousins and the great receiver in Jefferson and, you know, a new a new tight end and all that. He still likes to run the football, especially in the NFC North, in, a, in an outdoor game in January at Lambeau. Mm-hmm. And so he was asked after the game a couple of things about, well, you know, what are your thoughts now on the fact that, you know, your postseason hopes are, are gone after losing here to Green Bay? And and why do you think you guys struggled on, on getting the run game going? Disappointing tonight. Um, I didn't feel like we gave ourselves a chance to win. First half uh, kind of got away from us, the time of possession. Um, we didn't move the ball at all, really, at all. Um, got away from the running game way too soon. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, second half, we didn't, we didn't play well enough defensively. So give them credit. They're a good team, and uh, they got after us tonight. Just your thoughts on being eliminated. I don't know what. What are your thoughts? Well, I thought it was kind of a Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Appreciate your thoughts. So we're talking with Mike Clements, our Packers reporter. There's a lot to unpack there. The first part of that, where he's talking about the offense, got away from the run. Well, Mike, the run wasn't working. So that tells me that Mike Zimmer is just thinking about this a little backwards, which tells me maybe not a head coach. Go be a defensive coordinator, right? Go play to your strengths. Yeah. But then his next answer is like, do you want to? 
be a coach at all? Because you kind of sound like you want to be done, not just with head coaching, but coaching in general. Like, he just, man, he sounds defeated. Well, he just he has a habit of putting the blame on the let these last four or five offensive coordinators he's got. Now he's got Gary Kubiak's son in there as offensive coordinator, Clint Kubiak. Yep. And, you know. So uh, that, that's what, you know, the stuff that the Vikings have to think about in the off season. Yes. Um, A.J. Dillon, uh, see, when I looked at the game, it's like, I know it's 37-10, but I'm trying to, what are the, this is the team, you know, and, and you can have Aaron Rodgers talk about all the guys that they might be able to get back, but this is the team right now, and this is the team you're going to have to put on the field in a couple of weeks in a do-or-die uh, playoff game at Lambeau Field. So when I see... The Packers get the ball, their opening series, nice chunk play, 30 yards to Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. And then, like incompletions, the, jo, Josiah DeGore, number 81, your tight end, dropping a ball right at his chest underneath a goal post, a play practically designed for him. Uh, and so then you have to you know, settle for the field goal. Next drive, uh, Aaron Jones, nice 27-yard run outside. Mm-hmm. Then you know the drive breaks down, field goal. Next one. A.J. Dillon, okay, okay, great. This is what you're looking forward to. Quadzilla, you know, in the cold and grinding up the middle, and the three Vikings stop him. They just stop him cold for minus one yard, and I'll end of the drive. They have to punt. So A.J. Dillon, I asked him about, you know, these slow starts. Are, are there lessons you guys can learn from this Vikings game and even this Lions game to get you ready for that first playoff game? You never want to start slow, but you know one thing I feel like we continuously do week in and week out is uh, sticking together, and that's leadership from the vets, leadership from the coaching staff, etc. But when we're sticking together, you know plays might not go our way. Some of you might make a mistake here, but when we're locked arms, taking steps forward, um, we're really tough to deal with uh, on the offense. You got so many weapons. Uh, you know, there's lessons learned for sure, like you said. But right now, obviously, we, we still got a game next week. Still got a game next week, and then we got to figure out who uh, we're going to play the following week and. You know, try to get everybody rested up during that bye. But, you know, it's just one step at a time. Mike, the Packers were running the ball with success, and we've seen this last couple weeks where they'll get these nice runs, but then they'll stall out on a play or two and their drive will die, and they kick a field goal or they punt, and you're left thinking, well, they were moving the ball so well. What happened? Why are they not turning it into anything? And then that's part of the slow start. Something I saw in the second half that I loved is they got Dylan and Jones on the field at the same time. I really like that. I'd like to see that earlier in the game. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, LaFleur was asked about that right after the game, and he said, yeah, you know, why not? These two guys are dynamic and offer something. Also, it's a look that they haven't shown as well. Also, they're a little short at at tight end these days. I mean, they don't have Robert Tunyon, so I think they think of that as another way to to get some weapons out there. So then Aaron Rodgers, I had a chance to ask him a question um, after the game, and, you know, he said, yeah, he's going to play against the Lions, and I'll tell you, that goes back to 2011. When they go one and fifteen, and so McCarthy rests him because it's a meaningless game because they've clinched home field advantage, and they play the Lions and Matthew Stafford at Lambeau, and Matthew Stafford and Matt Flynn for the Packers go nuts, each throwing over 400 yards, and it's like a 45, 41 yard, 45 to 41 final score. Green Bay, uh, Matt Flynn throws six touchdowns, and Rodgers is standing on the sideline saying, "Why am I not a part of this?" Yeah. I want these stats. So yeah. he that's part of the reason he wants to play Sunday against the Lions. I think Matt Matt LaFleur made a good point too. I don't want my starters resting for three weeks before the playoffs start. But we also asked Rogers uh also about to his toe injury as well. So here's here's Aaron Rodgers in a in a question and answer. This was uh, another good week for me and felt good. Uh thought about practicing Thursday but just wasn't quite a hundred percent there mentally. Uh, practice Friday without any issues, no inhibitions, and felt really good. Uh, like I said, no pregame shot. Uh, got through the game without getting stepped on or any issues, which was great. So I feel like there's a legitimate chance I could practice two days this week. Uh, definitely practice Friday for sure, and then maybe uh, be able to get out on Thursday as well, uh, which would be great. There's like six different passes I want to ask you about tonight, so I'm going to let you pick one. I mean, between the sidearm throw to Devontae or the one where you hit Devontae in the sideline while Harrison is dropping back, you know, into coverage with his disguise. Was there one other pass you had tonight that you, you thought you checked off a box and you brought along somebody or, or you brought in a new 
play you can take into the postseason? You know, the fun thing I was just telling Tay as he walked out of uh, of this uh, uh, interview, but when I was looking at the the first few plays of the game that Matt uh, sends over my way uh, before game day, I was looking at him this this morning and, and this afternoon before the game. I thought that I wanted to kind of set the tone with Tay early on and throw him the ball uh, on the second play of the game, uh, regardless of the coverage. So they usually don't do that. You know, learn from Tom Clements. Uh, we always had three mortal sins. The quarterback, don't throw late down the middle. Uh, don't make uh, any blind throws and, and no premeditated decisions. And so uh, with all apologies to Tom and his excellent training over the years, I kind of had a premeditated decision to throw it to Devontae on that play. Now they came out in a too high shell, but the corner played low to his side. And we fit to, you know, similar balls in the past, but, um, but that was fun to kind of get him going because as wide as the safety is, he doesn't expect an outside release for a ball to kind of be thrown in that, uh, in that direction. So kind of using that uh, mentally against, uh, against the coverage scheme. And, uh, and then we came back to it in the two minute drill as well, which was, which was a lot of fun. So those two throws are probably my two favorite of the night. Excellent follow-up, Mike, asking about things you can take into next week and into the playoffs. What I like about Aaron Rodgers and his play style, you hear this when you listen to him talk, is almost like a point guard in basketball. He's got to be aware of everything, and he's got to make his checks, you know, get the play in, get it called, get the protection organized, but also he's got to, in the back of his mind, said, hey, we haven't gone to this receiver in a while. I want to keep him involved. Uh, we haven't thrown at this guy yet. Let's, let's, let's get him involved. Or thinking about the defense, this corner's getting a little comfy. Let's challenge him and push that button. There's just mm-hmm. so much going on, and it's like a point guard. You got to worry about everything and everyone, uh, uh, not just playing the quarterback position, but everything on the field. Right, and I loved it when you know Devontae was going against Chris Boyd and beating him and beating him. Yeah, and then he moved him and said, "Let's have Al Lazard go against Chris Boyd. Let's have him beat him <laughs> yeah. as well." All right, so some news today: uh, right tackle Billy Turner, who's out right now with a knee injury, added to the COVID list. But coming off the COVID list are uh, defensive lineman Kingsley Kiki, right tackle Dennis Kelly, who tested positive yesterday. He must have gotten, it's a, I don't know if it's a false positive. It's probably just that he tested negative, so he's clear. Darnell Savage is back uh, in active duty, and so is kick returner and rookie Amari Rogers. And they also they released the Badgers' uh, former offensive lineman John Deaton from their practice squad today. So they made those moves. But gotcha. know, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers talked about looking around and seeing a bunch of these players like Zaire and Zadarius getting close. And then we talked to Matt LaFleur. I want to skip ahead to about his decision on whether to rest or play starters in a, you know, essentially a meaningless game in Detroit on Sunday. I do feel like, you know, seeing uh, Zaire back at practice, there's a good possibility that uh, he could uh, come back at some point. Z, I mean, I think there's a possibility. I do. Uh, that'd be exciting for sure. Uh, and then Dave, you know, Dave's been progressing. Um, you know, doing some some stuff on the side. It seems like that'd be that'd be great. Josh as well. You know, um, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn that there's a possibility for all four of those guys. Randall for sure is coming back, and and he look looks great. I mean, he probably would have fought if this game was uh, a playoff game to be out there on the field. Um, so it's exciting knowing that there's you know a good deal of guys who are who are close to coming back and, and may may come back and could really help us. It's weird, Mike. I didn't think Randall Cobb had a hope and a prayer, and it seems like he's the one lock. He might play this weekend. That blows me away. I thought groin injury, core injury. I thought no chance. I didn't think he could be back until maybe an NFC Championship game. Yeah, you know, because that's how long Lazard was out. Uh, there's been defensive backs with that injury in Green Bay. So then here's Lafleur talking about. You know, the difficult decision and, you know, sort of the decision by committee of 20 coaches and players as well as to whether or not these guys should play against the Lions Sunday. I'm sure if you asked 100 different people, they could give you 100 different answers on what we should do. So right now the mindset is going into this is we're going to play our guys um, and we're going to approach it like every other game. And I just think that the reason behind that is I'm not comfortable having essentially a three-week layoff for our guys. I just, and I know you can look at it a million different ways, and there's never a right answer unless it works out. So, um, you know, if somebody goes in there and they get injured, then 
well, why'd you play your guys? But if you go out there and in that first playoff game and you lay an egg, well, why'd you rest your guys? So like, there's not a right answer. Bottom line is whatever we do, we got to go out and perform and we know that. And, and that's just um, the way we're going to go about it. I think it's important to mention there isn't a right or wrong answer, right? You take your best guess and then the result is the result. There's no way of doing it both ways, right? If you rest guys and you lose, there's no way of knowing, well, if we hadn't have rested guys, we would have won, right? This is an impossible choice for Matt LaFleur. The win or loss doesn't really matter. Uh, yeah. What what matters to Devontae and Aaron is that Devontae gets 21 yards, so he surpasses Jordy for most yards in the season. Um, what matters to Matt LaFleur is to make sure that these guys, his starters, his core players don't get rusty, so let him go out there and get some series in. And Brian Gutekinds is rubbing his hands together because, ooh, great, meaningless game. Let's empty the bench so I can get evaluate <laughs> some yeah. of these second and third string guys for next year. As for the Lions, you know, surprises when they beat the Vikings, and they shocked the world when they beat the Arizona Cardinals. They go up to Seattle and get their butts kicked, 51-29. to And Rashad Penny, the running back for the Seahawks, just runs all over them, 170 yards, two touchdowns, and Dan Campbell, the flamboyant, uh, passionate uh, coach of the Lions, explained why he couldn't stop the Seattle run game. Yep, didn't tackle well. You saw it, man. It, it wasn't. It just was not well. Was not good. You know, we were getting cut off backside. We weren't where we were supposed to be on a few things. We we weren't stopping it. He's no nonsense. You know, I I God, I like Dan Campbell. Like and. Maybe you're a reporter, so you've interacted with him and you've been in pressers and you've kind of been around it. I just think he's what Detroit needs. Very different from yeah. what the Packers need from Matt LaFleur. And I, and I got a call yesterday saying, well, if Matt LaFleur didn't have Aaron Rodgers, yeah, but that's not the job. Dan Campbell was hired to do a way different job than LaFleur. And it's cool that they're both kind of succeeding in their own way. I, I like Dan well, Campbell. The, the cool thing, Grant, about Ford Field is visitors' interview room where the coach will be, where LaFleur will be, is not far from the Lions' media room. So that way, I can get in there and get a get a few <laughs> get a sound get a few moments in there with Dan Campbell, and because I, I want to see that show in person. Yeah, uh, he's just he's a character. I'm a fan. Mike, you're a character, and your work is excellent as is Dan Campbell so far in Detroit. Appreciate you, and I'll talk on Thursday. We'll talk more about this upcoming game. Thanks, Grant. Have a good night. You as well, Mike Clements on Twitter at Mike Clements NFL. Follow him. We'll talk to him again on Thursday. One final check in, and I'm going on vacation on Friday. So my work week wraps up with Mike Clemens. I cannot wait. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.